I don't think that enough resources goes into guys initial, you know, getting out because it's so easy to reoffend, especially when you're on papers because you have to abide by so many rules. Okay, this uh, episode of the Rex Crim Show has been a long time in the making. I am delighted to be uh, welcoming no other than the one and only R slash XCon subredditor, Chris. Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Let's start from where it is that we got connected uh, um, and then tell a little bit about about the subreddit in itself, if you can, please. Uh, let me just go back to, uh, if you don't mind, I'll start with the uh, the subreddit. Um, I, you know, Reddit, the whole Reddit platform was new to me um, in terms of social media. And I had found the site um, and seen that there was various different communities. Uh, and I happened to look for one for, um, you know, ex-cons, guys that got out of jail, something, you know, related to that. And uh, there was nothing established, so um, I created a community. And at first, it wasn't uh, very big; it didn't have, you know, very much traffic at all. Um, and another sub that I was uh, a frequenter of was the Ask Me Anything's um, subreddit. And I like to go on there and read different, you know, unique stories. A lot of it was celebrities, but occasionally, you know, it was just an everyday man thing with, with you know, an intriguing story. And uh, I was like, well, I think I get a pretty intriguing story. So I, um, I messaged the moderators and uh, sent them my barrel, you know, the proof to, that you have to submit and uh, did one. And um, it, was a, it was a really, really, um, it, was, it gained a lot of traffic. Uh, it took three days to answer all the questions and uh, made the front page. Um, and at that point, uh, the subreddit started getting uh, quite a bit of uh, views and members. Um, and from that, uh, you know, it was, you know, it was always, you know, something that I wanted to do in terms of, you know, what, what, you know, what can I, you know, if I could provide advice, advice to other people, um, on transitioning, um, if they had questions about how I succeeded, um, you know, and I thought a form, uh, you know, a subreddit would be a good place for guys to get together and, and ask these questions and share stories and, uh. And so that's pretty much how it started. And just over time, it, it's, you know, it's grown um, a little bit more, a little bit more. I mean, we're getting close to 10,000 uh, subscribers subscribers now. Um, so it's, you know, it's a pretty active thing. Uh, and that's, that's basically where it started out, um, you know, for, for me. Uh, and then through that, I've had different uh, opportunities uh, to, to speak with uh uh, members of the media um, throughout the years, uh, and then now you, of course, um, you reached out to me on this. I, you know, I just I appreciate the opportunity to tell a little bit about my story, and uh, just hopeful that uh, maybe somebody can grab something that I've done and maybe apply it to their life, and, uh, and you know, use it as you know something that could they could apply it to theirs to be successful. It's uh, so commendable, and you're um, entirely welcome uh, to be here, Chris. And I think uh, on behalf of, from what I'm reading, at least the community, uh, you've given a real sense of hope for a lot of people that are struggling system impacted people and, uh, and those go going through just the same, uh, steps that you had gone through so many years ago. So, um, gratitude is in order and thank you, um, for making the connections you've made for me thus far as a result of that subreddit 
and on behalf of all the folks who are struggling and that you've been able to foster that hope for. I appreciate that. Thank you. 10,000 subscribers or something like that, a, you know, a, a huge community um, and a source of support. This is a place that I stumbled across in trying to source uh, voices that could tell of their stories with the justice system and, and sort of hear the other side. Um, and I think the most interesting story that is often not told is the story of desistance, people that might have got themselves into trouble and uh, then managed to get themselves out of it and keep their keep themselves out of it. And I think that's uh, I think you're a um, can I say poster boy or uh, what's what's a good term here? You're a model uh, example. Am I wrong? Um you know, I mean, I, you know, I, in terms of never going back to prison and, uh, you know, and finding different ways. And yeah, you know, so I would say you're correct on that. What more can you say about the subreddit? What are some of the themes that you're identifying in the conversations there? Sure. And, uh, and and what's really helped the subreddit to initially launch and blow up? Um, Like I said, the would, uh, I'm not sure if you want to hear a little bit about my story about what led me to go to prison or if that's going to be another conversation. No, definitely. Definitely. I, I'm, I'm looking through the correspondence we've had and I want to dissect it all. Yeah. If you'd like me to start from there, then I can kind of broach it into, um, you know, the kind of like my mindset into things. Um, that's I'll follow your train of thought and, uh, you tell what you're willing to share. Okay. Sure. Um, so just a little bit of background about me. Uh, I started, started drinking alcohol. I think when I was about, 10 or 11 years old, um, you know, marijuana, uh, cocaine, snorted my, snorted my first line of cocaine when I was 12, um, incarcerated for the first time at 12, grew up in a, in a really um, dysfunctional family, and uh, there's a lot of abuse going on, and I think that it was, um, looking back now, I think that it was, a, it was a way to kind of take me out of being in the mindset that I was in as a child um, to, you know, use substances. Uh, this led me to you know, get, get in, get in a lot of trouble as a juvenile, uh, going back and forth to juvenile facilities, um, throughout the state of Virginia, um, all the way until I hit, you know, 18. Um, and each time I'd get out, I'd go back home, back to the same environment. And, um, and it was just a continuous cycle that there was no, nothing different. There was no way to break it. Um, and so when I hit 18, um, I uh, got out while well, I was 17, came home, turned 18, again, you know, using drugs and alcohol, committing new crimes. And this time, uh, the judge, they took a look at my background. You know, my, a lot of people think they couldn't look at my your juvenile record when you hit 18, but they, they certainly can. So uh, the judge seen my record, you know, you've been getting in trouble since you were 12. Nothing's changed. Um, and he, he slapped me with a, a pretty big sentence. And, um, so I ended up uh, getting 50 years. Uh, these are a uh, total of 50 years, and then they suspended 40. Gave me 10 years to serve in prison, um, and then 10 years probation once once my sentence, you know, I, once I was released. Um, on a 10 -year Which state? What's that? Which state? Uh, that was in Virginia. It was Virginia in the early, yeah, in the early 90s. In Virginia, it was pretty tough on, uh, on crime back then. Um, anyway, uh, the, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's a Southern conservative state. Um, you know, I, my judge, uh, he had a nickname, uh, put him away, Potter. 
and that's what he did. Um, so on the on the fifty, uh, you know, well on the ten that I had to do um, at the parole, you go for parole after two, two, two years, eleven months. But uh, I was denied, um, and I ended up doing five years, eleven months, so almost six. Um, my charges were uh, credit card fraud, obtaining money under false pretenses, grand larceny. It was all property for you know property related to get money for drugs um uh, that was pretty much it so when i went in like i said it was it was it was pretty tough because i was a 19 year old kid by the time i reached the penitentiary and you know you're a 19 year old kid and you're doing time in a maximum facility you had long hair you're skinny um it was probably easily no yeah it's easily the scariest situation i've ever been in and uh and it, it was, uh, I remember writing my grandfather, um, I think it was the second day I was there and I told him, I said, I didn't think I was ever going to get out. I said, I was either going to kill somebody or I was going to get killed. Um, it was that, you know, it was that, that much. And, uh, and, uh, so, you know, eventually I did get out. I got him out May the 5th, 1998. Um, I still remember my, my prison number and it was 1985-52 sticks with me forever. Uh, and then when I got out, I, I knew I wasn't a very good criminal and I knew I never wanted to go back to that life. Um, but I knew I couldn't go back to the same situation I was in because every time I did, uh, I ended up right back in, um, incar- incarcerated. So, um, so I decided to kind of step away from, you know, family and friends and that situation. And, and, uh, I paroled uh, to a different area and uh, started over again. I, I'm hearing so, so much. Uh, but one of the themes first and foremost is this idea of escape. You're describing, you know, wanting to escape the environment that you grew up in, um, wanting to escape, you know, your, your own experience through drugs perhaps. And then, you know, um, wanting ostensibly to escape the prison system, which you've to some extent, uh, gained freedom from, uh, are you, are you in any way supervised now, uh, do the tentacles of the carceral state linger in your, in your life actively or passively? Um, Absolutely not. No, that's, that's one of the big things for me is, um, it's finally getting off of, you know, that probation. Um, I was in 2000, end of 2007. Um, it was almost the 10 year, the, the 10 year point of being on probation when, uh, they released me from supervision. So it was a, that was a, a huge accomplishment. Uh, that way I didn't have to report in and I didn't have to have anybody over my shoulder. And it kind of felt like, Hey, this is now finally behind me. Um, because up until that point, if I were, if I was to have committed a crime, you know, and brought back any charges for, for pretty much anything. I had that 40 years over my head and they could have gave me the time for whatever the charge was plus the 40 years. And, uh, that, that thought was just, uh, I couldn't even imagine it. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it, you know, the, the, the change, you know, for me initially was, man, I didn't want to go back to the penitentiary, you know? I mean, I, it just, it was, it was, wasn't tough for a young kid, uh, you know, to, to it, I mean, it wasn't easy for a young kid to be in that kind of situation. Um, especially, you know, down, like I said, down South in Virginia, you know, quite a while ago, it was, it was just a different animal. 1985-52. That's, that's, that's the number that they ascribed to you. And, and that's something that, uh, you won't soon be forgetting. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why I, I answered to that and I answered to cash 
everybody's got a everybody's got a nickname in the, in the penitentiary and uh you know you're called something so the guards will call you one thing and you know yeah, the other cons, they, they call you something, you know, something different. So the irony or coincidence that you're in prison for larceny and property related charges to win money and uh, you answer to the name Cash. Yeah. Yeah, it is a little bit. Uh, I never thought of that. It is ironic. It is. I, I'm keenly interested in the topic of probation and parole, as you mentioned, because. Uh, often it's um, it's an invisible issue that actually touches the lives of many more people than what the prison does per se. Um, so I'm I'm very interested in knowing all about your experiences there. But let's start if we can um, to to get clarity. There's no violence. There, was there violence on your record at all? Or no, 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 not not at all. I no no whatsoever violence. Um, just all property crimes. And you'd been in front of the court sometimes, and uh, and the record, you know, spoke for itself. And absolutely, put her away, Potter. That's right. That's, that's what his name was. Decided to uh, to to slam the uh, to to make an example of you in 50 years. Describe that penal weight. Um, describe what it was like, um, you know, ha- when those sort of bars figuratively uh, came came home. Well, you know, I remember talking. I had a court appointed attorney, and um, they do a pre sentence uh, report, which has the uh, the recommendations. And they have ranges. They have you know the high range, uh, mid range, low range of what the uh, that's what the probation officer puts together for the judge. And the mid range was somewhere around, I think it was like 18 years. Low range was, I think, like seven. Uh, I don't know if it's exact numbers, but, and then uh, high range was like 25. So that's what I, I figured it was going to be somewhere around there. I was hoping for the low end. Um, and uh, when, um, you know, when I went in there and, and, you know, he started reading off the time. Uh, gave me my first count. I had five counts that I pled to. Um, initially, I had thirty-two counts. Uh, they played. I played two, uh, five. They dismissed twenty-seven, and he gave me the first count of ten years in prison, ten years probation, suspending eight years. Uh, and then I knew um, that you know how much time I was going to get. So I figured ten. You know, I was like, wow, that's going to be. You know, it's not the mid-range. So I, I did get. You know, I think I did did all right in terms of the sentence, but it was just, I couldn't fathom the length of time that I was going to be locked up. Um, and I didn't do myself any favors because when I was in the County jail, uh, you know, I got into an altercation with, um, one of the COs and that, uh, that pretty much sealed my fate going to a maximum security penitentiary. I probably would have went to a lesser camp. Um, and then, you know, when I got to the camp, that's when it kind of hit me that, this is my new reality and, uh, and you know, it's not going to be easy. So what was the reason for the altercation with the CEO? You know, it, it was, it was stupid. It really, it was, you know, just me being a hard head. Um, I had some, uh, some pictures on my wall and you weren't, uh, you weren't allowed to have photos on your wall. I had something, you know, something taped up. Well, I wasn't taped up. I had some toothpaste on the back of it. Those would harden and stick up there. I think it was my, my girlfriend who ended up being my wife. And um, the guard said something, and my cell doors were open. And uh, I kind of, I don't, you know, I don't even know to this day why I did it. I got in his face and kind of bumped me. And then when he did, I shoved him. And 
and that was all she wrote. He called, you know, code, and they came in and and uh, you know roughed me up pretty good. I, you know, I was just a little skinny kid, so it wasn't much, you know, that I, you know, wasn't much fight in me. But um, you know, I just thought I was a badass, and I, you know, I was nothing but a punk kid and deserved what I got. And uh, it was a hard lesson. And um, you know, that's pretty much when they. When they did call me out, I got my got my time, and usually you're you're there in the, in, in the county jail. You have to wait for the, the DOC to process you, and it could be you know six months, could be you know twelve months, you know sitting there until you're transferred. And they had a bed space, um, that is, you know wherever you're getting transferred to, and um, but uh, it was probably a week after I got my my time that they sent me out. So. In that respect has kind of kind of helped me out because you know jail is a lot worse than the penitentiary in terms of you know your privileges. You don't have nearly as much you know access to you know things to do in, in the county jail. So, and that way it was it was decent. But the other way was it was a, just a tough reality being in a you know maximum security facility with so many with so many people with predator like mentalities. They're always trying to you know get over on you whether it's financially or you know, there's a lot of, you know, we call them booty bandits, you know, guys that are, that are, you know, doing a lot of time and that's, they try to turn people out. And, you know, I, I, that's why I like I said, when my letter, my granddad, I was, it was either I was going to kill somebody if they tried to do that or, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I was going to do time like that or somebody's going to kill me. They talk about in movies and stories of prison, you know, you better find the biggest guy there and take them down. Is there some of that at play? Is it, is it the environment that's impacting your decision-making at that point, do you think? Or were you just a hothead kid going into a situation uh, unable to, to navigate the conflict as well? You know, something that's ironic, uh, you're bringing this up because um, I think I was my second or third day. I mean, it's been so many years now, so... Uh, forgive me if I'm, if I'm off a little bit, but uh, when you first arrive at, at the uh, penitentiary, um, you have to wait for your commissary money. Well, if, whatever you had on the books at the county jail has to get sent from there. And it usually takes about a week or two for that money to get from, you know, the jail to the prison. So you're stuck and you can't order commissary or anything. And, you know, you don't have any money on the books. And uh, in prison, you can smoke. In jail, you couldn't. And one of the things I probably you know, wish I wouldn't have, but, uh, you know, I wanted a cigarette. I'd been in county jail all that time. And um, so I, you know, like I said, I didn't have any money on the books, but, uh, you know, I was approached by a couple of different people. One of them was a big guy, uh, big old fella. And, uh, you know, I said, nah, I'm good, man, because I didn't want to get into debt, you know, from anybody. And plus, I had a guy that was uh, from county that I was locked up with. He was going to front me a couple of packs. When he found out that I got fronted packs from another guy, he came up. He's like, you know, he started, you know, kind of beefing with me a little bit. Uh, you know, what you ain't, you know, I forget what the conversation went, but it was it was kind of like, well, well, why didn't you get this from me? Or, you know, or, you know, you're too good or something like that. And uh, I kind of like diffused the situation, went back in my cell. And then my buddy came up afterwards. He said, Cash, you're going to have to say something to him, man. He just jumped you down in front of everybody. And I, man, I was 140 pounds, man. I was six foot, 140 pounds. This guy was, I mean, just a big boy. And, you know, I was scared to death. And uh, But I knew that I had to say something to him. And I, you know, and I did. I went out and I was scared to death. And I said, look, man, I don't want no issues. But, you know, you, you're not going to come up on me like that no more. You know, and if we got to go, you know, if we got to, you know, throw down or whatever, that's fine. 
And I said, uh, you know that, and you know, I was scared to death, went back in my cell. And uh, he came up to me later on, and uh, you know, and we were straight after that. But uh, come to find out, he was getting ready to make papers anyway. He was getting ready to get out on parole, so he was just, you know, trying to shake up a new kid, I guess. But, um, you know, that, you know, that was kind of a, you know, that, and, you know, you see, you see, you know, some things in, in movies and stuff like you were saying that, you know, portray prison is, you know, in one way. And, and some of it's right, um, but a lot of it's wrong. Uh, you know, you, you like a lot of the sexual stuff with rape and, you know, you don't, you didn't see that happen, um, that you didn't see a lot of that, you know, a lot of people pressuring because it was just in that, in that environment, um, it was just too prevalent for, for that to be available to you. If that's what your thing was, uh, you know, if you, if you wanted to, you know, be in a relationship with another person that was there, if you wanted drugs, that was there, you know, it's just like a mini society. So, uh, a lot of the Hollywood stuff is, is you know, Hollywood eyes, of course, to, to provide entertainment. So, but, you know, there was some some serious things about it that was real. I mean, there's, you know, stabbings and gang fights and, you know, uh, riots. And, uh, you know, these are all some, you know, all, all the things that you had to deal with. Um, the prison I was at, actually, I was, um, this one, uh, one guy um, stabbed uh, the warden in the face and the neck. And it was, I think it was either Christmas Day or the day before. And, you know, he, um, let me say this. Are we allowed to cuss on this podcast? Oh, by all means, okay. whatever the hell you want, man. Okay, yeah. So if you Google, if you were to Google uh, the the case, you, uh, you know, Buckingham, it was at Buckingham Correctional Center. And, uh, you know, inmate stabbed uh, the warden on Christmas. And he, he, he cut him. And it was either Christmas or, or day right around it. And he said, Merry Christmas, motherfucker, and stabbed them all up. So stuff like that you see, you know. And uh, it was cutthroat, but uh, you know what? I'm just checking. I'm checking that out now. It looks like December 1966. No, 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 not that one. No, no. Okay. Uh, just put uh, like Buckingham Correctional Center, um, warden stabbed, and then it'll pull up. I'm sure. Uh, right. It'll tell the story about it, and then uh, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad we set that record uh, straight. So I'll have to see. Uh, yeah, Warden Eddie Pearson received a gruesome personal Christmas. There you go. You found it. Right on. I'll be sure to link that in the show notes. And and those are the anecdotes that, that uh, we're keen on, although I, I imagine people tuning in and listening to this who are familiar with the sensational accounts on Netflix and, and movies and TV shows and that sort of thing, um, it, it certainly isn't the, re- the full side. And... Sure. And you're going to be able to set the record straight here. So I'm hearing themes, though. I mean, that one of the most prevalent themes, it sounds like, is uh, you're, you're describing a very violent place. Gang fights, riots, stabbings uh, in the face on Christmas. You know, it was. It was. But um, it also it, it also was, was what you made it. Um, you know, if you if you did your time, your time, and just was you know trying to stay out of everybody's business, and you know, uh, command respect, a little bit of respect, no, you know, so people know you you weren't somebody they're going to walk all over. Um, you know, didn't go in debt, uh, didn't uh, you know? Just it's the main thing. If you weren't a if you weren't in on a you know you know a pedo charge, you know you know somebody that's sexually you know abusing somebody or 
if you weren't a snitch, you know, if you just stayed, you know, you know, just kind of low and just did your time, then, you know, a lot of times you, you were fine. But, uh, most of the, most of the incidences you've seen were, were people that were out there, you know, running up debt, uh, gambling, you know, uh, messing with, uh, somebody's, you know, boy, um, you know, it was, it was always something that would trigger it. And, uh, a lot of the stuff that that happens doesn't just happen because there's some tension. And back when I just want to say one thing too. Also back then, this is a little bit. It was a little bit different because where I was at, uh, the guards pretty much stayed out of your way. You know, you didn't have. You know, you see it. You know, like on Shawshank, you had the the tough guard. You know, slapping around people, and uh, you see a lot of that in different movies. And back then it wasn't like that because these guys, they just wanted to, you know, guys and ladies, they just wanted to come in, do their work shift, get out, no problems. And uh, so that was kind of decent. The only time they would intervene in something if somebody was getting hurt. Um, so you, you never seen a lot of issues with that. Uh, but uh, with this warden, I'm not sure exactly what, what, um, what the deal was about why, you know, everything happened the way it was. I know I heard some things, but, uh, uh, you do see stuff like that all the time. Cause you know, the warden getting stabbed in that situation. Um, you can imagine the mindset of these other, you know, uh, young men and women that are correction officers. It, you know, they know, you know, you're, you're at, you're at a, uh, at a tough place and, uh, they, they, you know, just do their job, stay low. And, um, if nobody was bothering them, they wouldn't bother, you know, you know, anybody. So, I didn't thankfully have too much issues with any kind of guards or anything. It's a, um, well, except for your, uh, early in, encounter. Oh yeah. That was day, jail, yeah. A couple of days in, in County. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I mean, you're this tough place. Um, that is primarily, I guess everyone, including the staff there are focused on one thing and that is survival. Can you describe, uh, more, you earlier mentioned or referred to it as a mini society. Can you rather describe some of the rules or this culture, um, you know, this sort of bravado that you're describing and the hierarchy sure. or the, the, no the norms that go on there, help us understand what the realities yeah. are really like. Yeah, of course. Um, you, you had groups, uh, like on the gang front, I mean, I can't speak on, you know, anywhere else, but back then when I was doing time, it was, um, it was pretty much region based. So you had, you know, you had the Richmond crew hanging out with the Richmond crew, you know, Virginia Beach crew, Norfolk crew. Um, so you had groups like that. Um, and then uh, you had like the Aryans and the, and the Black Panther kind of, you know, group. If not, the, I'm sorry, not that Black Panther, but more like the uh, the, the Nation of Islam. Uh, so you had little, you know, subsect groups that uh, mingled, interacted together. Um, it wasn't based on like pretty much gangs like you see now. Um, it was a little bit different back then. Um, so pretty much, you know, you stayed, you know, with your groups, with your guys and you didn't really interact. Uh, and it would carry over into like sports leagues. Uh, you know, you'd have baseball teams that were specific to your group, you know, your group would play the next one, you know, basketball, same way. Uh, your time on the, the, the weight yard, you know, was, was separated like that. Um, the, you know, so you had that and now, so let's talk about like the, the you're asking like the, 
how the community would work. Like they had, it had its own like uh, financial system. Um, so you had guys that their whole hustle was running a store box, you know, they would loan stuff out, you know, pay charge interest, bring it back in. You had guys whose hustle was uh, bringing dope in on the weekends. You know, they, we had contact visits back then. So their, their family member would bring the dope in and, uh, you know, you know, in her cavity here and uh, come through searches and, you know, get by through that. And then as soon as they were in the visitation room, go in the bathroom, pull it out, hand it off to their visit, you know, and then, so you had that and then you had uh, cash money. You had a lot of cash money in prison back then. Uh, cause it was, it was worth a lot more, um, you know, on the inside. Uh, so, but, um, you know, and you kind of, you kind of had rules. You, you, you didn't, you didn't get anybody's business. You, you, you mind your own business. You didn't mess with anybody's boy. If they had a fair relationship, um, if that was your thing, uh, like I said, uh, gambling, you know, that's a bad scene. So, you know, you kind of stay, stay away from that. But, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, you don't talk to any, you know, any guard, you don't, uh, get into debt. You know, um, those were the, those are the big things. And then the sexual offenders. So. so I'm, I'm trying to uh, keep track of all the, uh, uh, all the nuances here. So you're describing these conjugal visits. Uh, so on the one hand, your partner's well, not, coming in. Or- not so much conjugal visits. They were, uh, they were contact visits. Conjugal would be like you, you know, you're getting it on. Yeah. You're, you're getting on, but you actually did see that uh, in the visitation room, but, ah, but, but, oh, so you're, but in the 10 years, so to be clear, then conjugal visits were not allowed. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. So you no, definitely not. Yeah. Your visitors would come in, um, there would be, you know, uh, you know, a big room like a auditorium uh, with chairs and tables set up, and you had contact visits. So when your 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 family member came in, you could give them a hug and a kiss and hold their hands. Uh, you weren't behind glass like you were in county jail. That's another thing that made it appealing to get out of county jail and get to the penitentiary because you you had contact visits. You didn't have contact visits in county. Um, so they could hand things right off to you um, after they brought stuff in. And, uh, but now nah, in Virginia, there was never, never any conjugal visits, but, uh, you did see some of that stuff though in the, in the yeah. visitation area, but not the sort of thing you'd want to invite your youngster, uh, yeah, to come to be dad, uh, witness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And guys, guys in there, you know, there is, there is some respect for kids and stuff. So you, you didn't see like, you know, if something like that happened, then it was kind of, there's two visitation areas. There was one outside with picnic tables and there was one on inside that was in like a, like I said, like an auditorium type thing and they were connected. So you could get up and go outside if you wanted to. So I, I never seen anybody doing anything inappropriate around like little kids. Cause there is, there is some, a little bit of honor amongst, uh, amongst guys in the penitentiary. There's some things they won't do. That's what I wanted to, to draw out. You know, this, uh, you're describing, uh, in in its own unique way, this sort of integrity. There there are plenty of rules that you quickly had to uh, to adjust to to survive prison. I imagine, um, you know, this idea of uh, the guy, you know, just wanting to shake up a new kid, thinking sure. he could uh, he could show off on his final days that he still had it, so to speak. What were some more of the rules or th- observations that you made in your time? Uh, what were some of the hard hitting rules that maybe you learned, uh, early on in your time, a uh, big one. And, uh, 
it's, it's, I smile when I think about it because it's, uh, I hold it to the, to this day. I can't stand when this happens is, is if you're eating, um, I, I was in a Tahoe one time and, uh, we're sitting there and new guy, he's sitting at our table and, uh, he, he, you know, busted ass and, uh, they, you just don't do that when people are eating and he, he learned a hard lesson that day. Um, and that carries with me onto the street. I just, I just totally inappropriate. You just don't do stuff like that when somebody's eating. And right. that's one of the solid rules that, you know, it's just one of the many, uh, you, you don't, you know, you, you don't just do certain things that are, are people taking a, per, a personal affront to, um, you know, you, you, if you say something, you're going to do something, you do it. Your word is your bond. Uh, you don't backtrack because not having none of that, you know, it's just, so the, those things, uh, you, you just, you know, I, so I'm sure the more will come to me, but, uh, it's been a lot of yeah, years. But, yeah. And, and that's how, that's what is most, um, informative. I think about having just genuine and authentic conversations, uh, like what's happening right now. So feel welcome to interrupt and share any anecdotes yeah, that sure. come. You were, I sort of interrupted you. I think, uh, you were getting to the topic of sex offenders. Um, and I guess that was in context of this hierarchy, uh, describe who's in charge and who's not in prison. Well, you know, I, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to remember back. Like I said, you didn't have like, a, you know, uh, like, a, like you do out on the West coast or some of the other places where you had like Crips, Bloods and Mr. Teens. Right, um, right. I didn't see. I mean, there might've been that, but, uh, you know, it was like regional based, like I said, and there was always a shot caller, you know, somebody that, you know, was, you know, that had that reputation that would put a knife in you. Um, you see those guys around, uh, and you know, if you, if you, uh, you know, back then you didn't have the, the ability to go online and, and look somebody up and try to find a case. And, uh, so a lot of times you would keep your pre-sentence report with you. So that way you could prove who you, you know, what your charges were. So if somebody wanted to see your papers, um, and you had to show them, you know, I mean, and if you didn't, they're going to assume you use a snitch or you're, you know, a pedophile. Um, so you always tried to keep, you know, your papers with you. Um, because you know, if you're, if you're out there hurting kids, that's another thing that, you know, just guys in there, you know, they, they just don't put up with cause most of the guys in there, had, you know, had kids and, um, but, uh, yeah, that's some of the, some of these uh, adages like you know your word is your bond. Um, you know if you say something, you better do it, uh, and, and that describes the level of integrity. But then on the flip side, you know you better have your 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 pre sentence report or some papers to prove that you're not uh, a child molester. Um, is there a uh, is there a, a bit of a uh, discrepancy there, or am I reading too far into it? Your word is your bond on the one hand. But on the other hand, you no, can I, prove, prove yourself. Yeah, it's, it, you know, but that's, it's kind of different. I mean, it, where does your bond, if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. But if I'm in the system and if I tell you that I didn't commit this crime or I'm in here for that, that's not good enough. You know, you, you gonna you know, I got to have some kind of, and then once I know, then we're good. And then we build that, you know what I'm saying? Then here, here's the rules. You know, you know, you know, if I loan you something, you make sure, you know, I get my stuff back. If you tell me you're going to do something, you do it. Um, you know, after you build that, you know, so it's a little bit different. Right. 
but uh, just to follow this train of thought a, a second further, um, you know, I guess the it's 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 incumbent on you coming in as a new uh, con to the penitentiary, I guess, to prove that you're not. For example, can we agree is is a child molester the lowest of the totem pole, or absolutely lower? No, you, you know, you heard a child. Then yeah, that's that's it, and uh, you know, rapist or uh, or you know, then you get to you go from that level, then you get to um, you know, ex law enforcement and and uh, and also snitches. You know, snitches and child molesters are like right up there, and then you know, ex police officers, COs. Um, but see, a lot of times what what will happen is these guys will come in and. And if, um, if they can't keep it, you know, quiet about who they are, they'll check into the hole and, uh, you know, so that they're in protective custody. A lot of guys will do that immediately when they come in, they'll say they feel threatened and they're scared for their life and, um, and they'll check in, uh, some will try to, you know, stick it out and, uh, and, you know, somebody finds out about it, they end up usually either checking it at that point or getting hurt or, or, you know, or, or like, you know, getting turned out and becoming somebody's bitch, you know, and it's just how just how things rolled in there. Yeah, those are the rules. Pretty much. Just so fascinating. Um, oh, I, I, there's so many directions I, uh, we could go, but I have to collect uh, my train of thought. I wonder if you can describe your experience navigating the different tiers of security. Sure. I guess folks that start out uh, in county are probably in in what might be referred to as max while you're being sorted out yeah. to whichever, whichever camp in your case, you ended up in a max, but you made your way out, uh, to freedom. Sure. So help us understand yeah. navigating the tiers. Yeah, so where I was at, um, back then it was, it was, they didn't, it was the way they classified things back then is a little bit different than you do now. So if you looked up the facility I was at, I think it says it's like a level three or whatever. We didn't have levels back then. Um, you know, it's like a maximum security, you know, you had a camp, you had medium, medium. Um, you didn't have, you know, levels. Uh, it's a little bit different. Now you have super maxes. Um, so, you know, it, uh, a lot of guys that, that, that I was doing time with, uh, most of them, you know, were doing decades and, uh, but it was a little bit different because you had parole back then in Virginia too. So guys did have a little bit of hope. Uh, if you weren't, you know, if you weren't, if you didn't have a life sentence and there was an opportunity for you to, you know, get out one day cause you only did a fraction of your time before you're eligible for papers. And, um, but the problem is, is that, uh, back then in the nineties, there was a real tough, you know, tough on uh, crime stance by the government. And in Virginia, I, I think for take my, for instance, uh, my case, for instance, I thought after two years, 11 months, I was going to get, you know, I was probably going to get papers and get out. Uh, that didn't happen. And the reason why it didn't happen is because, um, Around that time, the Virginia was liking a new governor, and his stance was uh, one of the candidates' stance was uh, to abolish parole, and uh, and he was elected, and that's what he did. He abolished parole. Now I was I was grandfathered. I mean, they, they couldn't take it away from me or any of the other guys that had been previously previously sentenced, but it didn't matter. He installed a parole board that turned everybody down. So it didn't matter if you went up for parole; you're getting turned down. Everybody got turned down. Um, so that you lost the hope then. So the guys that were doing that time, you know, it was like, well, shit, why, you know, that means, you know, I don't, I'm programming, I'm doing all the things I have to do. And they just turn everybody down no matter what. 
um, you know, because Virginia, Virginia became an 85, I think it's 85% uh, law uh, state. So if you committed a crime, you have to do 85% of your time. And anybody, like I said, that was, you know, you know, under, you know, the sentence from previous to that, then uh, they still were denying you. Um, so kind of like, you know, you know, me thinking I'm getting out in three years, you know, ended up being six years. So I maxed my time out because that was the most you could do on a 10 year sentence back then was just shy of six. Um, so you've seen a lot more guys, you know, there's a lot more, a lot more, you know, agitation and a lot more, you know, guys not caring about shit because it didn't matter to them at that point. You know, they weren't going to, they lost a little bit of hope. I mean, there are policies at play here, zero tolerance, these sort of tough on crime, um, just desserts. Um, I, I mean, even even ostensibly your, um, were you involved, was there drug crimes as well, or at least you were motivated? No, I, I didn't have any, any like specific drug crimes. I mean, the only drug crime I ever had was when I was, uh, you know, it was, it was a juvenile, like, I don't know how old I was, 16, 15, something like that, and it was a... It was a, just a distribution and pot charge when it got dropped to an accommodation. I was pretty much a middleman in that. Um, so, no, for me, it was just, uh, you know, it was, you know, whatever I could do to get the money for the drugs I wanted. And we're talking maybe, it was maybe $5,000 worth of stuff, maybe at the most. I mean, it's probably less than that. Um, sure. You know, but, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know. But there, you know, there are so many uh, people behind bars because of policies about, you know, sure. the, stemming from the war on drugs, and these policies generally are just um, often they're they're sensational, kind of like the Netflix uh, shows that we referred to earlier. But they don't maybe hold water. They don't seem that effective. Like you're describing inmates who don't even have an opportunity or any reason for hope, uh, and therefore little incentive to behave well yeah, in prison. Absolutely. Can you, can you describe this sort of balancing of the carrot and the stick uh, that I've referred to in other episodes prison, you know, is a whole lot of stick without uh, very much reward. Um, That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Describe this sort of balance. And if you had a magic wand to make, to implement solutions, you know, how would you go about recalibrating or balancing? You know, it's, it's tough. Like, um, you're right because there you had there were certain things that you were able to right so you had uh, certain things privileges that you were able to get you had um, you know you had you know parole opportunities if you're doing programs if you were you know if you're you know without infractions and not getting wrote up for anything um, you know if you're you'd have the opportunity to you know buy clothing and have a TV and you know, if you didn't follow the rules, they, you know, they'd snatch these things. Um, and that, that was just something is those basic ones were, were what we live with every day. So everybody knew the rules and you kind of just played the game where, you know, Hey, you know, if you want to, you know, uh, you know, keep the basics, but when they took parole away, um, at that point, a lot of people were like, well, fuck this, you know I mean? What's the sense of even trying anymore to, you know, just keep ourselves straight. And uh, it was, it was kind of, it was a little bit, I mean, it's kind of wild because like I said, the guards kind of stayed away from people. Um, the other, the inmates were where I was at. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of bullshit stuff, but you know, if you're, if you're fighting, if you're, you know, um, 
you know, if there's some kind of drug activity or something, they get wind of somebody drops a note on somebody saying you're, you know, making hooch, then they're compelled to sit there and do something on that and people get charges. So yeah, you kind of, you know, you kind of stayed away from gambling. You started, you kind of stayed away from fighting and and whatever you could do, um, to keep the, what you had, the privileges you had, but, uh, and, and to earn that shot at parole. But, uh, when they took that away, it was, it, it's, you know, it really, uh, you know, what they, it didn't, didn't happen overnight. I mean, it, it happened a little while after they noticed everybody getting turned down every time everybody went up. Um, cause like I said, they put a parole board in place that was denying everybody in. And, uh, you've seen some change. You've seen a lot more aggression. You see a lot more fighting. Um, then they came in and started, uh, taking your clothes. They didn't allow you to have your personal clothes. Cause back then you could have, you know, a few pair of jeans, um, you know, decent pairs of shoes, uh, as long as they weren't worth a certain amount. Um, you know, and then programs, uh, you know, the, a lot of places they would offer, you know, certain programs. Uh, remember that I was able to take a college class, uh, computer class back then. Uh, you know, start, a lot of prisons started taking that away, uh, weights, stuff like that. They take that away. So guys were having all this stuff taken away and it built up a lot of resentment. And there was, you know, no reason for guys to sit there and, you know, you know, it, it seemed like uh, it caused, like, like I said, a lot of tension. And it was easier for guys to just say, fuck it. Because if you're doing, uh, you know, 20 years, 30 year sentence and, there's no shot of you getting for parole anymore. Um, and guys just don't care at that point. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a parallel that can be drawn to folks that find themselves in, involved with the justice system in the first place. I mean, if you have nothing, then you have nothing to lose. And uh, that seems to be the case as you're describing it in your, you know, upbringing, you've, you've made something, um, uh, out of out of uh, you know, you, it sounds to me, and I'm, I hope that in our conversation we will end on all that is going well. Um, but uh, by and large, it's people who are uh, struggling of lower socioeconomic status, people who are themselves victims that end up in jail, that you know experience trauma, that are struggling with mental illness. Yeah, you're not going to see. You're not going to see. You're not going to go into penitentiary. You'll very rarely see. You know, it, I mean, there are some, but you're not going to see the high society folks in the penitentiary. You know, I mean, you might see them in the feds, um, you know, because they're out there, you know, you know, doing Ponzi schemes or some bullshit stuff. But, you know, your everyday run of the mill guys that are in locked up for, you know, burglary or drug possession or, you know, shit like that um, or, you know, murder they're, they're guys that grew up hard, man, that they didn't have things. They didn't have, fam- you know, a complete family. They had a lot of abuse in their life and drugs and, you know, being brought up in a bad situation. Um, so you're right in that respect that that's what, you know, prison pretty much is, man. And these guys go in there and, uh, you know, nothing changes. They get out. They go right back to the same spot they were in. And uh, guess what happens? I mean, they just go right back in. I mean, it's, it's just – is kind of set you up to for failure. I mean, when they take all these programs away and um, they give you no way to, you know, better yourself and, uh, you know, 
you know, it's, it's just you know, unable to find work, you know, sure, unable yeah. to find a place to live. If you're subject to yeah, a absolutely. sex offender registry, for example, it's punishment upon punishment. Yeah. And that's, you know, you know, just jump forward just a second about the sub. And that's one of the things that we are trying to brainstorm and figure out how, cause I know what worked for me when I got out, you know, and, uh, been out, uh, 23 years now and never went back to prison and, um, you know, and, you know, I've had lived a decent life and, um, but you know, my moves and my steps, you know, I figured out and it wasn't easy a lot of times. So we were thinking, you know, what can we, what, I mean, how, what's the best way these, you know, people can, you know, try to find a, a, a you know, a way to, to, you know, get out and stay out, you know, cause like you say, you don't have a lot of help when you get out. Usually they give you 20, back then they gave you $25 and a bus ticket. Um, and that's it, you know, and go see your parole in three days, you know, within three days. Um, so, you know, you know, we wanted to try to sit there and, you know, say here, here's a list of jobs. Uh, here's how you get your driver's license. Um, you know, it's like, a you know, some kind of guidance that would, you know, at least give you a starting, you know, a starting point when you, when you were released. It's indeed a community and uh, evident for anyone that checks out the subreddit, which will be linked all over the show notes of this podcast episode. Yeah, let me just say this real quick. Um, when I was talking about, um, there was at one point that we, we were trying to do, like, if you know, you know, Wikipedia, Wikipedia is like an open source where anybody can contribute. And uh, ideally, you know, our idea was a, a wiki for, um, you know, reentry, a reentry wiki that was state specific so you can if you were in you know oklahoma or california or whatever you could go into this wiki and you know and there would be posted exactly you know the places to go for help for this and uh you know how to do that and uh, here's how you know just a guideline a basic walkthrough on on different tools that that are available in those specific areas so that was a, a kind of a a big idea that we had, but it's, you know, it's all about volunteers and, you know, we've worked on it and we're able to get some things established, but, you know, I think that if the system basically had something like that, where just say, for instance, right now you can Google anything you want on your computer as we're talking and as people are listening, it it would be, would be pretty amazing if when somebody's getting released, there is some database that has all this information and it's pulling jobs for that specific area and all this information on housing and mental health, you know, so that when they, when a guy's leaving, he can just put put his information in and it pulls a report and here's everything you need, you know, so here's, you know, you're starting out stuff, not $25 and a bus ticket. Here's some actual meat that you can use, um, to start you on, you know, trying to, you know, succeed when you get out. So I think eventually we're going to have something like that, hopefully. Um, I'm not smart enough to figure it out how to do it, but somebody will. Uh, and with with a team of with a team of something like uh, ten thousand or more subredditors, um, yeah, I, I mean it's coming to fruition. I can already see it. What you're describing is reminding me of another project, and I think it's also out of Virginia. Coincidentally, howtojustice.org. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. I'm sorry. No, don't be sorry. That's uh, something that talks about people's rights and um, 
and it builds upon what you're describing, which is a one-stop shop wiki of uh, how-to and ways of navigating life outside of Absolutely. the justice system. You know, you would you would think that there, you know, if if they put the resources into it, you know, that I don't think that enough resources goes into guys' initial, you know, getting out because it's so easy to reoffend, especially when you're on papers, because you have to abide by so many rules. Um, you, you know, there's so many things you have to do. And, you know, when you're getting out and you become overwhelmed with, you know, the reality of life, everything's so structured in the penitentiary, everything's done for you in terms of food and housing. And, you know, the only problems you have to really worry about is internal. But when you get on the outside, reality hits you in your face. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the POs are requiring you to get a job and pay off, <clears throat> excuse me, fines. And you got loved ones out there and you're building relationships and you have all this new set of problems. And, you know, it's a, it's a recipe for failure when you get overwhelmed and guys are like, fuck it, you know? And so, you know, especially when, you know, when they're having all the problems, that's why it'd be nice to have something where guys have, you know, options and, you know, like our subreddit where you can come in and you can discuss, uh, you know, the things that you, you know, you're going through and how, you know, say, Hey man, you know, can I have some advice on this? How did you work through that? Um, you know, and a lot of people, you know, if you go on there, uh, guys have been pretty much through it all. And so they, uh, there's always somebody willing to, to share what they've experienced and how they work through something. So that's the, that's the beautiful thing about it and what, what's how it's developed into, you know, a good tool for everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering about uh, a, a more abstract question, uh, a philosophical one. In your opinion, what is the purpose of prison? Yeah, you know, they say rehabilitation, but uh you know, I'm on the fence on this uh, in some ways because I've been home a long time now. And if you would ask me back when I did time, uh, did you deserve all that time? I would have said no. But now I say I deserve I, every day I did. I, I did. I, you know, I really do. Some people say, well, you had nonviolent crimes. Did you deserve that much time? For me, it changed my life because I realized I never wanted to go back there. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just... Uh, my mind's all over the place on this, uh, yeah, you, know, you know, I mean, that's a challenging question that folks, uh, are still on the fence about, I mean, you're describing, you say it's supposed to be supposedly about some aspect of rehabilitation. Yeah. It's, you know, that's what they say, but they're not, you know, if you, if you had more, more programs or more things that, you know, offered you, uh, you know, ways to, to become a better person, then yeah, I think it all starts within you. If you if you decide within yourself that you'll never go back to prison, you'll fight and claw when you get out to, to do whatever you can to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, but I, I do think that uh, it's, you know, retribution. Um, and I do think if you, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I think if you go out there and you victimize somebody, then you deserve to, to you deserve, you know, a punishment. Um, doesn't mean locking you away forever or sticking you, sticking you in solitary forever. You know, I think that, uh, we as a whole, you know, society can do a lot better, um, trying to figure out other ways to, you know, change people's mindset. And, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, helping communities not be so damn poor. So people are having to go out there and sling dope. Um, you know, there's just some migrant of things that, uh, you know, we as a society can do to you know, lessen these Listen, these things where people have to go and be punitively punished um, because there's not really much rehabilitation in prison, I don't think. I think it, it comes within within yourself. 
Yes, but there's also um, social structures in place, and your your point you're hitting on them. You know, it's important to sort of see the links. Uh, I think between the economy and you know the justice system. Um, it's no coincidence that vast majority of the people that are in uh, justice systems tend to be those who don't have the economic resources to defend themselves at court. For example, it, it, on the same mindset. You look at some, you know, companies back when I was in prison, they didn't have this, but now they do. You have companies that, uh, if you want to stay in contact with your loved ones, um, you got companies that, uh, you know, they're going to charge you a fee to put money on your, your loved one's books. You're going to charge you a fee to, to be able to call or, you know, all these things are not, that's victimizing, you know, the people on the street again. I mean, it's victimizing the family members of the incarcerated. So it, it's just a, it's just like a, it doesn't make any sense to me how, how the whole system works. You know, I mean, why, why do they have it set up in place like that? Why do they put so, so many restrictions on, you know, ways that people can communicate and, and do well. And you're punishing the people on the, you know, the families on the street um, that are just trying to be there for their loved ones, you know, and you got for-profit companies out there that are, are making a buck off of these families that are poor. You know, that's what, that's what a big thing that really upsets me is that, there's companies out there, and, and it, what upsets me is that the states allow that to happen. They allow that you know these government, I mean, these companies to come in and make money off the backs of these poor, impoverished people that are just trying to support their loved ones and, and and you know and be there for them while they're incarcerated. But you don't hear much about that because it's just too much money in play. Um, I mean, that's exactly what I want to hear about, and people rightly say, you know, to follow the money. Um, some some could argue that, you know, a, a robust welfare state on the front end would cut down on the need for, um, you know, this sort of rehabilitation on the back end. Uh, and so there is some corruption, it seems, when private companies are benefiting in this way that you're describing. Uh, but I, you're right. I it it is less instructive, I think, to focus on the external factors, the things outside of our control, as opposed to what you've very nicely done in a very resilient way. Uh, and that's reframe your perception and your sort of internal locus of control. You've been able to sort of frame this in a positive way. Yeah. You know, for me, I, I uh, personally, you know, as I gotten older and, you know, I, you know, I see the way world works I, you know i was pretty much a kid when i went in and um i internally i can't imagine myself doing something with somebody else taking something from somebody else hurting somebody you know um you know anything like that and so i think that that that's kind of shaped who i am in my my mindset um you know and it helped me become a better person uh, i don't know if it's age as well but you know, with the sub, um, I just think that, uh, you know, it's got a lot of good tools that to help a lot of people. I, I met a lot of good people. One of my moderators is an attorney, um, who, uh, who, who developed a website to help people, um, you know, expunge your records. Uh, you know, so we have you know, just a lot of, a lot of good people that are, that are on there that, you know, want to help contribute and overcome all of this adversity that we're just scratching the surface and, and trying to uh, shed light on. 
I, I want to um, learn more about your experience with, uh, you know, segueing from the prison into the community. Um, sure. Can you describe a little bit more about your relationship with your POs or, and, and what, what, it, what that was like? Yeah, sure. Um, initially, when I, when I was first released, I think I had to go in once a week to see your PO. And, you know, there's a lot of conditions. Uh, they're pretty strict. Um, you know, you, you know, certain curfews. You, yeah, I think for me, I couldn't leave the state. And uh, if I did, I had to be back within, you know, before the next day. Uh, I had to get travel passes if I were to leave uh, for more than a day out of state, uh, drug tests, frequent, uh, they had a color code system where you would call a number and, um, uh, recording would come open and it would, you know, say a color. And if it, your color would hop, you know, was up, then you'd have to drive in and, uh, you know, do your, do your drug test. Um, so that was that. You had your fines to pay, uh, you had to maintain employment and uh, any of those little hiccups. Um, you know, if you had programs to do like drug program or something, then you would have to complete that as well so you'd always have to come in and show all this proof of stuff um and any little thing could, could get you violated uh if you tested positive for alcohol or drugs and you know you had a drug issue and you were told not to you know use or whatever then boom you can bring you back up before the judge or um you know if you drive in charge i mean i had a couple tickets so it was pretty much the extent of my you know my post-release uh criminal trouble but uh, you know, any kind of stuff like that, you had to report in. Um, it was really strict in that regard. Uh, but over time, um, you know, it, it was less, you know, less strict. Um, you know, after I was out for, I want to say maybe a year, better be two years, year, uh, maybe a year. So then the visits weren't as frequent. You know, they went from one week to every other week and then eventually to every month. And then I uh, got to the point where I was just calling in once every six months, um, you know, yeah, nothing's changed, nothing, you know, everything's the same. Um, so, but initially it's that, it's that initial, you're already overwhelmed with everything going on in your life. You know, you're, you know, the changes and being free and trying to get a job and, you know, have these relationships and, you know, um, you know, you got kids out there that haven't seen you in years and you're trying to, you know, have relationships with them, but you got all this pressure on you you know, and then you're having the PO system, you know, Hey, what the hell is going on? Why aren't you doing this? And you need to do that. And, you know, guys get overwhelmed. Um, but for me, you know, it was a progression and I got, you know, was frustrated a lot of times too, but was able to just, you know, I was able to get initially get over through that, that period and, uh, you know, keep myself straight, uh, you know, do the things that they wanted. And eventually, you know, it, it petered out to where I didn't have to report as often. And that's when it was, it was great, but it wasn't until that last, uh, that last hearing when they released my probation, finally, that I knew those 40 years were gone and, uh, and I was done, you know, that whole thing was behind me. And, uh, but initially it's pretty tough. Describe that relief, uh, linger there for a second longer. What was that like? You know, for me, it was a, just a big it was a, it was just a, a scary thought because, you know, after, you know, six, seven years, I don't know what it was, but you no longer even consider being, you know, I, I couldn't even imagine going back to prison. I mean, it was just not, it was so alien to me, that world, even though, you know, that was my life for so long, I, it scared me. It scared me. And so I knew I had all the time and I still, 
walked on eggshells and I still always was like, you know, if something was around me, I'd like, man, I, I can't be around that shit, man. I just don't want nothing to go down. And, and uh, you know, if, if people I was messing with, you know, was getting high or doing some crazy stuff and I just can't be around any of that stuff. Cause I had that much time over my head and there was no way I, I think to myself, I, I'd ever want to go back into that environment. Um, especially with those young kids then in Virginia, they were doing 85%. I mean, it was a real, you know, they had, built up all these prisons. I mean, just the whole, the whole thought, I mean, it was never again, you know, is what, what my mind was saying. So when they, uh, when, when that, you know, the judge said, uh, he was, he's killing the rest of my time. Um, you know, it was like a weight off of me. And then I was like, all right, you know, I don't have to deal with this anymore. I don't have to be afraid of this, you know? Um, you know, it, it you know, but by that time, you know, my life was already in a direction that, nothing was going to change. It wasn't, I wasn't going to go out and party and celebrate and take chances or do anything like that. But I knew that, you know, I, I didn't have that worry over my head anymore, which was, which was a great thing. Cause I, you know, it was a, a daunting, you know, thought that, you know, they could send me back at any point, um, to do that backup time. And, uh, that's some scary stuff when you're a young man. Mm-hmm. Just back to the pre-sentence report for a second. Uh, who wrote that? Sure. That's the probation department. So they, the judge, they, I, I don't know how they do it anymore, but uh, then they would, they would get the probation and parole department to do a uh, pre-sentence investigation. So it pretty much, you know, just outlines what they know about you and your life and your criminal history. And based upon that, you know, and your career crimes and your charges, uh, they would, I think it was like a point system where they give you a certain amount of points for, for certain things and took, you know, points away for certain things. And then based on those points, that's where it, it placed you in, you know, the ranges, um, for the amount of time you would do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how scientific these things are, but, uh, you know, it seems, uh, you know, it's arbitrary. It seems to me and somebody's personal judgment, Yeah, I asked earlier about this sort of sense of penal weight, and you described it in terms of counts. You know, you they dismissed twenty seven counts. You uh, pled down to five. I mean, it it seems you're, and now you're describing this point system um, in the the pre sentence investigation. And it it, for you at least, it sounds like it's a it's really a numbers game. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, my crimes, like I said, uh. You know, I wrote some bad checks, uh, credit card fraud, grand larceny. See, uh, each count, each each check that I wrote, there was three felonies. Uh, you had forgery, obtaining money under false pretense, and uttering. Um, so it wasn't like a, a massive amount of stuff, but all those points stack up. Um, and I knew, I mean, I, if I would have went to trial, I was going to, you know, there's a chance I would have been, you know, it could have been 100 years they would have gave me because I had so many counts. So, you know, uh, I played the numbers game and, and said, all right, five, and, but uh, those pre-sentence reports, I mean, like I said, I don't know how they do it nowadays. Um, but uh, it's, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's a good tool. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not in the mindset of the criminal justice system. I just know that. It's in your you past. Know, a lot of times. Yeah, a lot of times the guys are getting, I, you know, asked long sentences, man. I mean, for, 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 for bullshit stuff. I mean. I was with a guy that got 97 years in prison for robbing the seven lady rod, two seven elevens. Um, he was young. He was like 19 or 20 and he got 97 years in prison, you know, 
And I think he got out of it, I get like 20 some dollars. You know, I don't know if he's ever, if he, if he ever made parole or anything, but you know, uh, you know, somebody high on, on, on dope and, and some of the other side would argue, well, you know, he robbed a Seven Eleven, you know, in the middle of the night. And I understand that. Um, but this guy's 19, 20 years old. Does that mean you throw him away forever? You don't, you don't give him a chance. And I just haven't, I have a big problem with that. Um, you know, it's just one of the things that I, on the other end of the spectrum, you deserve what you, you, you deserve to do. You know, you deserve punishment, but I mean, come on, you don't kill somebody's rest of their life because of some stupid shit they did when they were, you know, a kid themselves. Yeah. I, and, and this nuance is what's important here in being, you know, it's not so simple. The justice system is not just made of, you know, victims and offenders. There's a blend and there's a lot of ambiguity. Uh, I'm really interested in your perspective on, on points. Uh, could you give examples of how you think you might have gained points when you were negotiating with your uh, uh, PO? Um Tell a little bit more about the conditions. Um, you know, how do you gain currency with the person that's supposedly supervising you? You know, I for me, you know, everybody's a little bit different. Well, the POs. I mean, sometimes you, you'd have a hard ass PO. I was lucky; I didn't have any particular hard ass PO. Um, I, you know, I had somebody that was pretty much, you know, well, I had several different ones, but they were all fairly decent in respect is if you did what was expected, then, you know, they didn't have a problem. And it was like, well, if you stay out of trouble, if you, if you, if you have a job and you take, pay your fines, your restitution, um, clean, you know, don't, you know, test positive, you know, and, uh, three months will knock this back down every two weeks. And, uh, for me, that that's how I gained points. It was to prove that I wasn't going to, I was going to abide by the rules. And they sucked. I mean, a lot of times, you know, I, I'd want to leave and go somewhere, and but I couldn't because, you know, I'm on papers and you're not allowed to leave the state or, um, you know, just different things that, uh, that, you know, you couldn't do. I wanted to go out and party and drink some beer and watch a game, you know, football games on the weekends, but I know I couldn't because if my color came up the next day, you know, I was going to test positive. And, uh, and I actually did test positive a couple of times for alcohol for doing just that. Mm-hmm. And I uh, got lucky, and they, they didn't violate me. Um, but that's, you know, to earn points, that's you know that's just basically what you had to do. You, a lot of times you didn't like it, but the alternative was being locked up in a penitentiary. So you got to either you gotta balance it. Um, the color system is you're, it's kind of like a bingo then. They're just, uh, you, you're a color, and they're going to pick at random. Yeah. See, it's the, I, I'm not sure, you know, how they did it, but uh, how they – came up with what number i mean what color was going to come up at what particular time but there was there was colors that were called pretty often hmm. and there was colors that were called left all less often and based on your history um you know your your offense history and what they know about you uh say if you you had drug charges or known you were a known drug user alcohol user and that was what you know helped you commit crime you know or call or helped you know was one of the factors that ended up in your um, your actions to be locked up, then your color was going to be called more often. You might get red, and red was called every week, or, you know, um, or if you didn't have that kind of history, you might be, you know, purple. So that's how they kind of structured it. Um, DUI guys, you know, they would get called all the time. Um, so, you know, and then after a period of time, your colors might change. 
so it was kind of a pain in the ass because then if you're, if you're if you don't have a vehicle to get to the PO's office to do your drug test, you know, or some way to get over there, and you don't make it over there in time, then they you, they can violate you for not 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 pissing. Right. Um, so it's, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things cause it's a last minute type thing. That's how they always keep you on your toes. And, uh, if you, if you don't do it, if you don't piss or, you know, it's just, it's a, I don't, I don't know how they do it nowadays, but that's how it was back then. And, uh, you know, it was numerous times that I'd went in there and, you know, like I said, I did test positive for alcohol a couple of times, but you know, by then I'd been out of prison for so long, the judge, you know, he said, no, we're not even going to bring it in for hearing. So worked out well. You're, you're describing this sort of randomness or this sort of uh, aspect of not knowing. Um, you knew which color you were and that color changed, but you didn't know which color would be called. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. You didn't know. I mean, you called every, you called every night except, let me see, you didn't call Friday. I think it was called Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Sunday, um, and then if it came up, then you would go. I don't like I said. I don't know how they they chose the, the colors or you know the randomly throw them in a hat or whatever. How did you get your color? But, was uh, it the color of your papers or what was was your color just written? Like how did? Yeah, I, I'm just. I think that when you went in, they gave you like some form with your color on it, and then had the telephone number um, as part of your conditions of your probation. Right. Um, when they were handing that out to you, I think it was on, on my initial visit. Uh, cause when I got out of prison, I had three days, I think it was 72 hours, uh, to be in uh, contact with my probation officer. And during that meeting, that's when they give you the basics, you know, what you're, what's expected of you. Uh, here's what you need to do. Um, and you know, here's the color you are, you know, it's, you know, a little paper that I had it on there and, uh, you'd call up and it would be a recorded message. And it would, you know, say if this is, you know, you, then you need to report to such such address. And uh, so you get there the next day, and there would be a line of people, and you know, you'd have to go in there and, you know, piss in front of somebody. And you know, there was always people trying to hustle to get, you know, get around it. You know, there's some some anxiety around, uh, you know, not knowing uh, when and if. And in your case, you probably went to piss knowing that you uh, were going to piss dirty. Um, describe that the, the, the violations. Yeah, no, it was, um, to be honest with you, I didn't even know about them. I didn't know about them until a long time later, um, because it was, they didn't. So I don't know what the process was, but I, you know, I pissed of course, and it came up positive, but it wasn't brought up to me. I didn't discuss it. It wasn't something that they, they were like, oh, you did this or whatever. And we're going to you know try to violate you. Later on, when I was going up for my termination for my probation, um, you know, it was after nine plus years, uh, the judge was looking through the record and he actually mentioned that. And I, I wasn't aware that, you know, any of that stuff came back and they looked at it um, until years later. Uh, so I don't know how much weight they put on it. It wasn't, it was, I wasn't out there using any, you know, drugs or anything like that. So maybe they, you know, took a leaner approach to it. But, wow. Uh, so, so they didn't even, there wasn't even a discussion that was had during the supervision period, but just recorded about you throughout the supervision period. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, not to say that they couldn't have violated me. I don't know if that was like, uh, one of the stipulations, uh, I know it was, it was related to me that, you know, you weren't to use any substances, but, uh, 
um, you know, it was never like pushed like for a violation. I guess it was reported and they looked at it and they decided that uh, they weren't going to, you know, do it. But, you know, there was, it was that anxiety because when I was in, I just real quick stories that when I was in prison, um, the, the, you know, I, I got protested while I was in, incarcerated and I, there, there was word around that, you know, people were smoking dope and I, I hadn't done anything. I hadn't used any drugs, but, uh, they brought me in and I tested positive mm-hmm. and I'm like, no, this is a mistake. And they threw me in the hole and they're like, no, it's not a mistake. So then next thing I know, they're bringing three, four more guys in and they're all saying the same thing. What the hell's going on? Well, uh, a little bit later, some more guys coming in and then they realized that there was something wrong with their test. They went and retest everybody. And, and, you know, I think all but one of us tested negative. So yeah, you are, you're always worried about it, man. Cause if this could be wrong and then, and, and this could send me back to prison and I don't, I don't have a voice in this because they're going to believe this and there's nothing you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another thing that's away from you. You don't have that over your head anymore. You don't have to worry about you know, what the what ifs. I mean, when that paper is gone, when you're off probation, you don't have to worry about any of that shit anymore yeah. because there's no possibility of it happening. And that's a huge release off, a release off your shoulders. Um, sorry, relief off your shoulders because, you, know, uh, you know, you don't want to have to be accountable. You don't have to take any chance. You don't have to worry about that, you know, the possibility of something going wrong and, you know, people mislooking it or misconstruing something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um it was just a, it was just a great thing to, uh, to be relieved of. Yeah. It's, uh, I hear the relief, uh, you know, you being able to refer to this in your past and I'm so glad we arrived there. This idea of false positives and, you know, just shedding light on how technology, uh, is not always the answer. And, um, yeah, for this very reason that you're describing people wrongly being put in the hole for testing positive when the test was erroneous is, you know, it, it, it translates nicely to a wider issue of the death penalty and how, uh, you know, false positives can occur. It's not a Absolutely. fantastic science. It's a, it's a real, uh, issue. Um, sure. yeah. you know, when you have something yeah. like that, that's not, that's not fail safe that, that there's a chance that, you know, and for you to put all your eggs in one basket on something that's, that's, that has a possible, you know, that, that could possibly be wrong. And we need to do away with that. I mean, you just need to, you know, the death penalty whole thing. That's another thing. Because when I was in county, I was locked up with uh, Lonnie Weeks and a guy named Carl Chichester. And both of those guys were, well, Lonnie was a young guy. I think he was 19 or so. He ended up executed. And Carl, he was in his 20s, I think. He ended up executed. We're in the same cell block together, you know. And, you know, it's like one of those things where, if you, you know, if you're not 100% on something, then, you know, I don't know. My, my feeling is that uh, you should always, you know, you should always err on the side of uh, the possibility that something could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you've got to err on the side of caution because far too often we've seen people, I mean, as, uh, the, old, as the old adage goes, um, far better to let 10 guilty men go free than have one innocent one, yeah. And that's true. And you've seen it, man. You've seen it. There was, there was, there was guys that were locked up that, that, uh, that ended up being proven, uh, you know, exonerated. And, uh, you see it all the time with the innocent projects and stuff. And, and so I'm all for, you know, you know, I'm not for capital punishment. I mean, at one time I was, 
Um, you know, and one time I was like, yeah, shit, yeah, you know, because, but the reason why I'm not anymore is because as I've grown as a man and, and, and broadened my, my way of thinking, I know that it's just too many possibilities. And if there's even the remotest possibility that you're executing a wrong person or incarcerating the wrong person, then, you know, the system isn't correct. The system isn't, you know, you know, the system's fallible and, uh, and it's just, especially when you're talking about something that extreme with somebody's life, um, you know, it's not a good thing. So I, it's just how I feel about it nowadays. You know, as wrong, um, as the system might be, uh, I'm hearing a story from you, Chris, about someone that has turned it around and I've heard what sounds to be like maybe a, your small family in the background, and uh, oh, yeah. and and you five kids. Yeah, not so small then. You've got a big family. Yeah, no, nah, I got five kids. Like I said, I've been home twenty three years. Um, so my oldest is uh, just went to see him this past weekend. I drove down to Virginia, back down to Virginia. I live in New York, and uh, he is he is in his senior year in college. He'll be the first one to uh, graduate college in our family's history. Um, and then my youngest is just started kindergarten. So it's a big wide spectrum. He's only, he's turned five today actually. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's an amazing thing. Cause I, you know, my life is, 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 is a lot different than what it was years ago. And, um, and, uh, with the help of like community, like Reddit and like this podcast, you know, I'm just hopeful that, you know, people can, uh, can take a little bit about, you know, you know, the little bit of uh, the, the help that, you know, guys are willing to give and, you know, to share their, their experiences and, you know, maybe it can uh, help transform their lives and they can apply it to themselves to become, you know, a better person and stay out and avoid certain pitfalls. And, you know, because, you know, you get a lot of strength through, you know, communities and, you know, people that have shared experiences and, uh, you know, you know, people that can share this, you know, stuff with people. So, I don't know. It's good stuff, man. The, well, this is a legacy that you have uh – that, that you're leaving and, uh, my God, man, five, uh, five kids and, uh, and you know, the work that you're doing on Reddit, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a, there's a theme of redemption here. You know, you've been able to turn something, uh, that started out rough and, uh, and, and grow something fantastic out of it. So uh, congratulations. I appreciate it. And it's, uh, it's just, uh, it says a lot about the members of the community. Um, not, not me. Um, it's um, the members of the community that are active, engaging, and that are answering questions and that are, you know, people come in and post and you have guys that are willing to share and willing to, you know, give advice. And so I give all the credit to those guys because, uh, you know, they, they, they've, there's a lot of people that had a lot worse, you know, life than I have. And, lived through a lot more stuff than I have. I was just given, you know, I had the opportunity to, 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 to try to create something and, um, and kind of, I kind of handed it off, not really handed it off. Cause of course I'm, I'm still active, but, um, other people will kind of take over and they, you know, the community members are all there for each other. And so it says a lot about what people have in their heart that, uh, that it's not about, you know, you know, we're just, you know, ex cons are just criminals and, they're not trying to be to do right by you know you know themselves in society and do better. Um, one thing that they they you know they don't tell you when you get locked up is that you know it's part of your sentence is that uh, 
being an ex-con is a life sentence and you're always stick, you know, you're always viewed as a certain way. Um, what people don't realize is that people like in, in this community that they, they give themselves and they try to answer questions and steer people in the right direction and guide them to, to doing the right things and share about what, what works for them. Um, so it's not all bad people. And I, it's a, it's a shame that that stigma exists so much that, uh, that you, when somebody hears ex-con, they automatically look at somebody like they're an outcast, like they're just some dredge of society when that's not the case because it took me many, many years to, you know, even be able to vote, um, you know, because in Virginia you can't vote uh, if you're an ex-con. Um, you know, you can't, you don't have any civil rights. And it took until, it took till about like six, seven years ago before I could even do any of that stuff. And I was finally granted that right back after all these years. You know, because people, the government, everybody looked at you as some, you know, pariah that you were just the lowest of the low. When in reality, you have groups like this, um, where people are actively trying to help out other other guys, change their lives, and uh, and it just says a lot about you know preconceived notions and about how people view things and that you know things aren't always what they seem. Yeah, some staggering statistic I recall uh, reading that in the United States there is uh, more people involved, either incarcerated or involved with the justice system than all. I, I, I'll have to find a reference to make sure I'm not lying here. So fact check me, please. But I understand that in the U.S. the prison population is larger than every other country in the world combined. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. I mean, it's just, this is an incarceration nation. I mean, you know, uh, it's just, I think it's getting better, though, to be honest with you. I think there's a, a lot of, there's a lot more calls for, you know, you know, it's a lot more calls for, for, for things to, to start changing. And um, I think things are, are getting better. Like in a state like Virginia, uh, the governor back uh, several years back, uh, if you'd been out of prison for a certain amount of time, uh, you're able to get your rights back. Um, you know, I, cause I, I couldn't vote. I couldn't do anything. Um, and, and to be able to get those things back, it was very difficult. You had to go through a big process and paperwork and had to go to the governor's office. You had to prove this and that. So that was eased. And, um, you know, there's a lot of other things that it seems like, you know, it looks like some of the drug laws are changing, uh, with the crack versus the Coke. Um, you know, with the weights and stuff like that, and people were being released that were sentenced under those 80s laws. So I think things in society are progressing a little bit and becoming a little bit more, you know, not not so, you know, just blanket harsh, and there's no chance for anybody. Um, and I think it's, it's a lot about the, new, you know, the younger generation and being more open to, you know, uh, you know, rehabilitation and here's how we should help other people a little bit more compassion than the good old boy back days of, you know, just, you know, uh, punishment, incarceration and just lock the keys away, you know? Well, let us hope that, uh, in this conversation, you know, this is the beginning of a, of a meaningful dialogue with, uh, society and, and those who have been impacted by the carceral state. So with, with your permission, uh, maybe we'll share this conversation in the uh, Reddit threads when it's ready. And, um, and if you're amenable, you can, you can point people in, in this direction because the Rex Crim show is dedicated to hearing about those divergent perspectives and uh, 
soliciting respondents. So if, if you're listening to this, if it's helpful, and if you want to uh, um, participate in it in, in some way, get in touch, rexcrimshow at gmail.com. We'll, uh, I'll, I'll be watching in the threads, and um, yeah, maybe, maybe you're even willing to share it, and people can find it there also. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Any any kind of um, platform, and it's a voice for uh, change and voice for the, uh, you know, um, you know, for guys to to, to better themselves is, is something that uh, is that we're we're always looking for. And I appreciate the opportunity to be on here yeah. and tell a little bit about my story. I want to uh, give you the last word, but I I also want to ask a, a loaded final two part question. Sure. Can you uh, tell me, Chris, what is it now that you have to look forward to? And on the same side, what advice would you give to you know, folks that were in your shoes, uh, uh, you know, new cons now, uh, who might be feeling hopeless? You know, for me, the, the things that I'm looking forward to that I, every day is, is my children and, uh, and just life in general. Because if, if I look back, and I can't believe I gave the state that much time in my life. Um, that's the way people need to, to look at it. I mean, it's, I gave them years, you know, that I'll never get back. I'll never, I'll never have that. And one day when I'm, when I'm on my deathbed, uh, I'll, I wish I had that time back and nothing short of doing something for my children or my family is worth that time. Not, not, not some, you know, initial, you know, euphoria of using drugs or whatever the hell it is, you know, none of that's worth it, you know, in, 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 in the grand scheme of things, cause I'll never get that time back. Um, you know, so that's one, that's the thing I, I, I wake up and I just, I, I think about how can I be a better person today and live my life and just, you know, and just be, be a good person, a father, good, a good husband, um, a good citizen. And, uh, and, uh, and, 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 you know, and I think that I try to live that the best way I can. Um, you know, cause when I, when I, you know, when I got, when I was a kid, man, I, you know, I thought I knew everything. But in reality, I didn't know shit, you know, and it cost me a lot. And, uh, but I'm grateful for the stumbles because I wouldn't be the person that I am today without the things I went through. Um, you know, you, I remember, you know, when I was younger, people always tell you, well, you know, you, they'll tell you something, but you don't want to hear it. So you go on your way and you do it. And when you're, when you're older, you think back, well, yeah, my mom used to say that, or my dad said that, or somebody said that and I didn't listen. And it's true. I mean, you, uh, and I now I'm finding myself having that conversation with other people. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, I deserve to do all the time I did. And that's my mindset. Um, you know, because I, I was guilty of victimizing other people's property. Uh, and who was I? Who was I to do that? Who was I to take from somebody else who who worked hard to earn it? And... Uh, and so for me, you know, it worked to change my life, but it came from inside. Um, I don't think prison did anything for me except, you know, made me realize I, you know, it wasn't someplace I wanted to be. There was no, it didn't, you know, help me become a better person, you know, except in that respect that I changed, you know, my mindset to thinking that I didn't want to be there anymore. So that, that's what started the change. Um, uh, you know, and I, I just try to live life now that, now that I've been home so long, uh, you know, just trying to be a positive person and, and, uh, being there for anybody else that, that of course, um, you know, if I can help somebody else out in any way, you know, that I, that, that I'll, I'll try to do the best I can. 
without a doubt, you've uh, managed to turn it around and it, you know, it, it uh, resonates with me. Um, this idea, at least I choose to believe. And, and I think, I, I, I hope you'll agree with me. You know, it's, there's very little that you can control. And so the only thing that uh, you can really do is um, adjust your perception and how you, uh, how you choose to perceive the world. So I choose to believe that life is something like 10% uh, circumstance and 90% fortitude. And um, I wonder if that's something that resonates with you. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, cause if you, if you're not if you don't have that mindset that, you know, you're going to stay out and you're going to accomplish it. It doesn't matter really what it is. I mean, it's any kind of goal. Um, you got to keep grinding and staying on it. Like my son, I'll tell you, he's, he's getting ready to graduate college. He'll be the first one, like I said, in, in our family's history to do it. Um, I tell him all the time, you know, keep grinding, keep focusing, you know, uh, so you got to have fortitude. You got to have the strength to, to keep, you know, uh, you know, no matter what, no matter how hard times get, um, because uh, there were there were times where I was overwhelmed that I was homeless since I've been out of prison that you know a divorce you know happened and things didn't work out and I was down you know to the point where I had nothing and it would have been easy for me to just say fuck it and just you know go back to that, you know using dope or going back to that same lifestyle but I knew I didn't want that I knew I could overcome the situation I was in so yeah you got to you got to just stay grinding and and your your focus and realize that nothing you really can do or say or nothing's worth, you know, giving your life away to the state. That's how I look at it. I mean, you, you just, it just makes no sense because you'll never get it back and I'll never get that back. And, uh, it's just a tough thing to swallow because I know that one day I'll wish I, I could get it back. A true story of desistence and persistence and, um, and, uh, and one of hope. So, Thanks again for coming on here, Chris, and uh, I hope to hear from you again and uh, from folks from the subreddit. Absolutely. We'll be definitely posting something up um, about this discussion, and, uh, and and hopefully some other people will reach out to you, you know, and, and we can hear other stories because uh, I'm sure there's a lot better ones than mine, and um, there's just a lot of people, you know, a lot of people have a lot to offer, but no, thank you so much for having me.